Hello, and welcome to the Word Experience Podcast, where the Word of God is experienced in a fresh new way. Prepare yourself to hear God's Word talk with simplicity and understanding. And now, here's your host, Cliff Goldberg. What's going on, good people, good people, good people? Uh, Welcome to the Word Experience Podcast, where we experience the Word in a fresh new way. I am your host, Cliff Gober. Let's break this thing off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for how you lead us and guide us. We thank you for your direction. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for your comfort, God. We thank you for your wisdom. When we don't know what to do, you always gives us, give us access to your wisdom so we can know what to do when we don't know what to do. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you for this time of learning and growing and developing spiritually. We thank you for this word that helps us to become the people that you have called us to be, transforming us and changing us from the inside out by your word. So we declare now that no weapon formed against this time shall prosper. We declare that the word of God will be fulfilled in the lives of those who hear this word. We declare every ear is open to hear and every heart is open to receive, not just the word, but the word behind the word. God, I open myself up to be used by you, all of you being used by all of me, during this time, and uh, we receive all that we have prayed for by faith and declare it to be so in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, fam, last time we were together, we were talking about a firm foundation. This is a firm foundation part two. In part one, we talked about the importance of foundations, and I'm not going to go too deep into a review because you can listen to the podcast if you haven't already. <laughs> and uh, But we talked about how when we talk about foundations for godly living, we're talking about an underlying base or principle. We're talking about building our lives on principles and, 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 and basis of things that cannot be shaken. And we declare that the kingdom of God cannot be shaken, although all other types of kingdoms and ways of thinking and ways of doing things can be shaken. What's going to remain after the shaking is the unshakable thing, which is the kingdom of God. And that's what we want to have our lives founded on, the kingdom of God. We talked about the different foundations. We looked at the foundation of trust and how we build our lives based on trusting God. And then we talked about the foundation of the word of God, how important it is to sit at the feet of Jesus as Mary did and hear the word of God. But then we moved to understanding that the foundation of hearing is not enough. We have to have a foundation of hearing and obeying the word of God. And Jesus equated hearing and obeying his sayings as a person who built a house and dug deep and established a firm foundation built the house on the foundation so when the craziness of life came as as we would use the cliche in the church the storms of life when the storms of life come the house that is our life will not be shaken because it's built on the foundation of not only hearing the word but hearing and obeying the word and i'm reminded that james said i believe james chapter 1 verse 22 ish that we should be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Okay, so we want to build our godly living on the foundation of trusting God. And that trust of God should lead us to being able to build the next level of the foundation, the word of God. Now we're going to move to the source of the word. And in John, I believe, chapter 1 the, the, the gospel according to John, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And who he is talking about is Jesus. And so our next foundation is the foundation of Jesus. Now we've looked at sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing what he says, and we've looked at uh, the importance of hearing and obeying the word that came from Jesus, which is the word of God. We equate that to the word of God. But now we want to look at the foundation of Jesus from a different perspective. And to do that, I want to go from, I want to go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 8, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. A lot of teens in that phrase. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. Matthew 16, verses 15 
through 18. Now, uh, the background to this story, Jesus has gathered his main guys, his 12, and he asked them a question, who do people say that I am? And the various disciples gave different answers. Some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're this. So now we pick up on verse 15. Verse 15 of Matthew 16 says, He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Verse 16 says, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So this takes Jesus from what he, what he gives, the Word of God, to now who he is, the Son of God. Right, So this aspect of the foundation of Jesus is not what he does, but who he is. And we build, the church is built on the foundation of who Jesus is more than what he does. Who he is is what the church is built on. All right. Now let me read verse 18 in the Amplified. Verse 18 in the Amplified says, and I tell you, you are Peter. Now, you know, I heard somebody say, how do you get all these different names, you know, Joshua and da-da-da, and then you get a, a name like Peter, right? Because Peter is not a Jewish name, but this is a Greek translation of the word Petros. You are Petros. And what he is saying is, you are a Petros. The Amplified says Petros is a large piece of rock. And he's calling him Rock, or like I used to, I like to call him Rocky, as a nickname because something came out of Peter. Something came, well, let me change it. Something came out of Simon that was that was evidence of something that's that that that's very solid. Right? So he says, I tell you, you are Petros, little rock. And on this rock, now this rock is called Petra, and it's defined as a huge rock like Gibraltar. And he says, so I'm going to call you Rocky because a rock of revelation came out of you. And he says, on this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church. What is he talking about? And I know I'm, I'm struggling now because I grew up in church and I've heard all kind of thing about Peter's Rock and churches called Peter's Rock and, you know, it's the rock. What is he talking about? He's talking about the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. The church is built on that rock. The church is built on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And on that rock, on that revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, the gates of hell, the Amplified calls it the powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. So here, here is what he's saying now. The revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is what the church is built on. And because the church is built on Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, hell cannot be successful in tearing down the church that is built on the foundation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what the church is built on. It is built on that rock, that foundation. And so our lives should stand on the foundation of the church. The church is not founded on holiness. The church is not founded on speaking in tongues. 
The church is not founded on the word of God. The church is founded on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That actually is the foundation of the gospel. A gospel preacher is not somebody who can open up the Bible to 1 Kings chapter 15, exegese to set the text, be, be amazing in, its, in his hermeneutics, and say that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. There's nothing wrong with it, but that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The a gospel preacher is somehow able to take all of the various books of the Bible and, and use them to emphasize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Churches are supposed to be built on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's not based on love, although that's a part of it. It's not based on praise and worship, although that's a part of it. But the foundation of the church is built on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm going to just be bold here. If your church is built on any other foundation, it has the ability to fall. This is for pastors. And those who are called to be pastors, if your church is not built on the right foundation, it has the ability to fall. The church of Jesus Christ is built on the foundation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's... That's it. That's the rock. That's the Petros, the Petra, the rock of revelation. And so since that revelation came through Simon, Simon God, Jesus said, I'm going to change your name from Simon to Rocky. So every time somebody says your name, it's a reminder of the revelation that came out of you. And I, I, I would venture to say, some, I heard a man of God talking about the difference between Peter and Judas, who killed himself. Uh, and they said, well, Peter didn't kill himself because he had the revelation of who Jesus was. Judas had an idea of who he thought Jesus was. And because his life was not built on the foundation of who Jesus actually was, the actions that he led, that led, the actions led him to taking his own life. Okay, and, and I would add to that that the reason that Peter held on to the revelation is because his name was changed. So now they're not calling him Simon anymore; they're calling him Rocky. <laughs> I had a Rocky and Bullwinkle reference. I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it. <laughs> but his name was changed as a constant reminder of the revelation of who Jesus was. It's the same, in the same manner, Abram's name was changed to Abraham, and it changed his name from exalted father, which I believe is what Abram translates to, to father of many nations, which is what Abraham means. All right? So now, every time somebody calls his name Abraham, it's a reminder he's a father of many nations. So here with Simon, when they go from calling him Simon to Rock or Peter, it's a reminder of who Jesus was. And if Simon had that constant reminder of who Jesus was, even though he denied him in the courtyard that night, it didn't move him to take his life. It moved him to run away, but it didn't move him to take his life for whatever that's worth. What is God calling you? What name has God given you? And have you fully adopted that name for yourself as a reminder of who God says you are? Things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> God has named me a teacher, a story, to, a teacher of the word of God to believers, a man who tells stories through film and television and theater, and a counselor, a source of counsel to those who need it. That's my name. That's my name. Teacher, 
storyteller, counselor. That's who he calls me. Now, I ain't no name for that. You know, I'm still Cliff, but teacher to, of the word to believers, storyteller and counselor. That's my name. That's who I am. That's who he has called me. And so anything I do in life is going to come out of my name. It's either going to come out of my teacher of the word name, or it's going to come out of my storyteller name, or it's going to come out of my source being a source of counsel name, whatever that name is. All right. So, so we want to get before God and let him tell us who we are so we can walk boldly in who we are. Because unless the Father gives identification, we're lost because we don't know who we are. Uh, I'm, I'm remembering uh, in the movie The Lion King uh, when Simba has gone out and ran away and got with those, you know, uh, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, and he's living his life like it's golden, right? And Rafiki the priest comes to him and he says, You don't know who you are. And, and he knew who he was, but he didn't know who he was. And, and he looked in the, in the water and he saw his father. I'm getting goosebumps. Every time I tell this story, I get goosebumps. And he looks in the reflection and he sees his father. And he begins to hear his father talk to him. And his father begins to identify who he was. And once he got the identification of who he was, he was able to go back and fulfill his destiny. The father has your name. The Father knows who you are. And we have to let the Father identify us so we can go forth and fulfill our destiny in the earth. Amen. 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 I want to read verse 18, uh, Matthew 16 and 18 from the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation says, I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this truth of who I am See, this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. My legislative assembly and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Right? I mean, let me go back and read. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Death has power, but it does not have the power to overcome the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, bedrock is one of the strongest rocks to build a foundation on. I believe the island of Manhattan is built on bedrock. It's an extremely strong rock, right? And so the foundation, the bedrock of the church is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. All right, let's do some support scriptures for this. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Acts 2, 36 says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. This is, uh, this is Peter talking. <laughs> He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Establishing who Jesus is, and this is what we stand on. Now, uh, uh, many people in the church have given Jesus the nickname of Lord without giving him the authority to be Lord. It's cool to call Jesus Lord, right? We know the scripture says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, but Lord now has responsibilities. And I oftentimes equate this to the landlord. If you rent an apartment or you rent a home, right? The landlord now dictates how you govern yourself in the house or in the apartment. Whatever the landlord says, that's what it is. If the landlord wants to raise the rent, the landlord has the authority to raise the rent and you have to abide by the raising of the rent given by the landlord. Well, Jesus is our life Lord. 
and what he says should go. Not my even Jesus went to the Father, not my will, Lord, but your will be done be done. Jesus is the Lord of our lives, but we have to allow him to be Lord. You be Lord of my life. You govern my life. I was I was praying about some things the other day and actually last night. And 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 the Holy Spirit was like, you know, God is speaking to me by the Spirit. He's going, you know, didn't you put your life in my hands? And I'm like, yeah, I did. He said, okay, let me lead you, son. I got you. We're going to get where I want us to go. And where you want to go is where I want us to go. So trust me. Uh, that's that foundation of trust. And I will get us where we want to go. Right? Because I said, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Lord. So not only is he the Christ for the world, but he is Lord. He wants to be Lord of our lives. And when we allow him to be Lord, we take our hands off the drivers, off the drive, off the wheel and let him drive. Matter of fact, we get in the passenger seat and let him drive and let him be Lord and let him direct our lives. You know, I heard somebody talk about you know, a minister talked about trusting God where we can't trace him. What that means is we, we trust God even though we don't know where he's leading us. We can't figure out where we're going based on what we're seeing. I can't trace you, God. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're doing. But yet I'm going to trust you because trust is the foundation of godly living. So when we let Jesus be both Lord and Christ or Christ and Lord now we're cooking with Crisco <laughs> all right all right let's look at the last scripture here dealing with the foundation of Jesus Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 Hebrews 9 and 15 says and for this reason he, talking about Jesus, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. All right. The New Living Translation says that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. So he is the mediator of the new covenant that allows not only Jews to take advantage of the forgiveness of sins, but also non-Jews to take advantage of the forgiveness of sins by the death of Jesus. In his death, he is the mediator of the covenant between God and man. That's the foundation of Jesus. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is both Lord and Christ. And he is the mediator of the covenant between God and all of mankind. That's what we build our lives on. The foundation of Jesus. All right, let's move to the next foundation. The next foundation is the foundation of God's love. Now, a lot of times we spend in church in times of praise and worship, and we send up our love for God. And we talk about our love for God. And that's great. That's awesome. And I know it is a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. When we send up our praise, when we send up our worship, when we declare our love for God, man, that's great. But the found, one of our foundations is not that we love God, but it's God's love for us. And if that piece of the foundation is missing, I believe we, we miss out on the intimacy that can come between God and us in our relationship with Him. When we lose the fact that God loves us, or even worse, that we believe that God doesn't love us because of our actions. We lose valuable intimacy. And it has an impact on our faith. Because the scripture says, faith works by love. 
Now, on one end, faith works by how we love people. But the other side of it is faith works because we understand God loves us. And because we understand God loves us, it allows us to put our faith in him and it allows us to trust him, as I said earlier, when we can't trace him. See how all of these pieces of the foundation come together to build one strong, solid foundation that we can stand on, trusting God, the word of God, understanding who Jesus is, and now this foundation of God's love for us. So let's go to John 3, 16 and 17. John 3, 16, God, praise God, is an, an amazingly familiar passage of scripture all over the world. I don't know who the person was that did it, but decades ago at various football games uh, in the end zone where the, the extra point is kicked, somebody would always have a big poster that said John 3.16. And uh, I don't know how many lives have been changed that somebody went and looked that up. But whoever that person is, and I'm sure it's been many people over the years because it can't be the same person going to all the football games. But that John 316 uh, has been posted in football games for at least 30 some years, you know. So let's read John 316 and John 317. John 316 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I want to read this out of the message translation. It says, This is how much God loved the world. Here it is right here. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his Son, his one and only Son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. This is what God did. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And we got a lot of people who go to church who are using the Bible and God to condemn the world. God did not send his son to condemn the world. Now, condemnation is different from conviction. Conviction says what I'm doing, it points a finger and says that what I'm doing is not right. But it is not condemnation. A building that's condemned is of no more use. When they condemn a building, eventually they tear it down. God did not send his son to tear down people's lives. God sent his son to save people's lives. Right? He says God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger. That's not why he sent Jesus. Can we please stop pointing accusing fingers at people? Can we please stop pointing accusing fingers at people who don't look like you, who don't believe the way you do. They're not part of your denomination. God did not send his son to point accusing fingers at people, telling the world how bad it was. You're going to hell by two o'clock if you don't get right with the Lord. That's not why Jesus came. Is it true that if people don't allow Jesus into their life and become Lord and Savior, they could end up in hell when they die? Yes. But it's the love of God that sent his son so people can have the opportunity to not end up there. Can we please stop pointing accusing fingers at people and sending folks to hell? You don't know what people have been through. You don't know people how people were raised. You don't know the hurt and the pain that's been caused that, that, that they've had to endure because of life. You don't know. So stop it. God didn't do it. Why are you doing it? I'm sorry, guys. It, it, it just it hurts my heart when Christian people do that and drive people away from God. Because the representative is so twisted so hypocritical 
They don't want to have to do it. They don't want to have anything to do with God because of us. Not because of God, because of us. His representatives, his ambassadors. Let's not do that, fam. Let's not do that anymore. Let's make a let's make a concerted effort to figure out how to love people. And if you're not sure, ask God to help you. God, help me love people. Help me love people that are living different lifestyles than than I know they should be living. Help me love people. Help me love myself. Help me love people. Show me how to do it. God, show me how to do it. I think if 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 the if the body of Christ could just get the love thing right, man, a whole lot of things would change. Don't necessarily have to know Genesis to Revelation. Just figure out how to love people the way God loves people. Well, I don't know how to love. I'm not a loving person. Examine how God loved you. Examine how God loves you now. Examine how patient God is with you. And love and be patient with people in the same manner. How about that? How about using God as a model? That's pretty cool, huh? Let's do that. All right, let me move on. I'm <laughs> let me move on. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We're talking about the foundation of God's love for us. The foundation of God's love for us. God loves you, man. God loves you, sis. He loves you. Uh, he can't love me because uh, what I did last week and the type of person I am, he can't love me. He loves you. His love has no conditions. And if you want to really, really get a hold of this, uh, I, I did a podcast some while a while back called uh, "Love from the Top Down," and it talks about God's love for us. You pull that back up and and check that out, and let the Word describe His love for us. All right, and and here we go again, uh, Romans five and eight. But God demonstrates His own love for us, towards us. God demonstrates His own love towards us. God has a love that goes towards us, from Him to us. And it's demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates His love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've got two translations of this. I love them. I love both of them. The Phillips translation says, Yet the proof of God's amazing love is this. See, love should have proof behind it. Love should have proof behind it. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that it was while we were sinners that Christ died for us. The message translation says, But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. See, see, it's easy to love people who do stuff for you. That's easy. You know, I love my daddy. He's done some amazing stuff for me. I love my mom. She's done amazing stuff for me. I got friends of mine who've done amazing things for me. So it's easy to love them. But what about the people who who <laughs> they are of no use to you? Can you love those people? Can you love the people who cannot help you get ahead in life? Can you love people who are not connected to you being successful in life? Can you love somebody um, that you don't deem physically attractive? Can you love somebody who has on purpose done things against you? Can you love people while they are of no use whatsoever to you? Because that's what God did for us. He loved us, showed his love for us when we were of no use whatever to him. He showed his love for us by sending his son to die for us when we were of no use to him. When we were in the club shaking it up. Dropping it like it's hot. Drinking uh, whatever we was drinking. When we were driving while drunk, he had already loved us, proved his love for us. When we were wilding out, and, and I, I call it my old life, running and gunning, he had already showed his love for me by sending Christ to die for me. My goodness gracious of life. While I was of no use to him, he had already showed his love for me 
by sending his son to die a sacrificial death so I could have a relationship with him. While I was of no use to him, <laughs> he proved his love. His, he proved his amazing love. I know we got a song, Amazing Grace, but I think somebody should write a song, Amazing Love. Because his love is amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right, let's finish with this scripture where the foundation of God's love is concerned. We're going to stay in Romans. We're going to go to Romans 8, 38 through 39. Romans 8, 38 through 39. All right, Romans 8, 38, 39. Paul is talking here. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love for us. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing that exists that can separate God's love for us. Now, the relationship might be separated because we're not born again, or the relationship might be separated because we've turned our hearts, but his love for us is not going to be separated from us. His love for us is based on who he is, not on what we do. All right, I want to read this from the Living Bible. He says, For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Man, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. He says, Death can't and life can't. The angels won't and all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, or where we are, high above the sky, or in the deepest ocean, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. Which is what he talked about in Romans 5 and 8. He shows his, showed his love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. And nothing, death, life, angels, the powers of hell, our fears, our worries, whether we're high or low, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. So that, that understanding that God loves me is a part of the foundation of godly living. We have to be convinced, like Paul was convinced, we have to be convinced of how much God loves us. You have to be convinced of how much God loves you. And the fact that he sent Jesus to die for you before you were even born is evidence of his love for you. That had nothing to do with what you did. You weren't even here. <laughs> God's love is not based on what I did. Jesus died for me thousands of years ago and I wasn't even around. But it says in Hebrews that he was that Jesus was able to stay on the cross because of the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him is us being able to have a relationship with God through Jesus' sacrifice on that cross. And that's the demonstration of God's amazing love for you. His amazing love for you. His amazing love for you for you put that on the foundation stand on that because that's unshakable god's love for us is unshakable and that's what paul is talking about here in romans 8 38 well i'm so looking forward to talking to that dude when we get to heaven it's probably gonna be a long line of folks <laughs> waiting to talk to him i just want to talk to him i just want to talk to paul and go man break it off for me tell me something just just share something with because we don't know everything. You know, even Paul said, we know in part, we understand in part. But when we get there, we're going to know everything. So I want to get there and just talk to me, man. Because, you know, he's a nerd. He was a nerd like I'm a nerd. He's a real nerd. He could speak different languages and all that stuff. But, you know, I'm a nerd too. I'll, I'll stand on that. All right. So let's stand on the foundation that God loves me. 
All right, final foundation is the foundation of righteousness. The foundation of righteousness. And I'm just going to read this. Some of us may not, because I think I'm at some point I'm going to do a, a specific teaching on the righteousness of God and our righteousness, because there's a lot of misunderstanding, um, um, uh, uh, not really good teaching, not accurate teaching on righteousness. And uh, so as God leads me at some point, I know I'm going to do a teaching on the righteousness of God. But for now, we want to look at this um, as a foundational principle um, from a couple of scriptures. How many scriptures? Uh, two scriptures. All right, two scriptures, and we'll call it a day. All right, we want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And this is our last foundation, the foundation of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm going to read it again. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, Jesus was all righteousness, and we were all sin. And so on the cross, there was an exchange. We exchanged, the exchange was Jesus' righteousness came on us and our sin was put on him. And now we are righteous, not because of what we do or who we are. We are righteous in Jesus. We are in right standing with God because of Jesus. So since we are right standing in God because of what Jesus did and our faith in what Jesus did, I can't fall out of righteousness because of something I do or don't do. Because my righteousness is not based on my actions. My righteousness, my right standing with God is based on my faith in what Jesus did on that cross and exchanged his righteousness for my sin. The Amplified Translation says, For our sake he made Christ virtually to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God, what we ought to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. See, we are approved and acceptable and in right relationship with God because of our faith in what Jesus did. Not because of us. Not because we pray three hours a day. Praying three hours a day is fine. Not because we fast twice a week. Fasting twice a week is fine. Not because we go to some denomination. Denominations, that's cool. But my righteousness is not because I'm holy. Holy is what is a byproduct of our relationship with God. Those things are all fine. But I'm not righteous. I'm not in right standing with God because of what I do. I'm in right standing with God because of what Jesus did and my faith in what he did on that cross. He who knew no sin. I think one translation says he was made sin for us so we might be made the righteousness of God. Right? The message translation says God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. See, we were wrong with God. Jesus was right with God. So we took on Jesus' right. He took on our wrong and now we're all in fellowship with God. See, see, somebody said, well, if, 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 if Jesus took our sin, isn't he a sinner? No, because he didn't sin. He just put on the coat of sin. He took on our coat, took on our coat of sin. He gave us the coat of righteousness. But who he is, he never sinned. So he still maintains his righteousness. Right? So everybody's in right standing with God. Right? Those of us who have faith in what Jesus did, our sin coat was taken off and we got to receive the righteousness coat. 
And it's not based on what we do. It's not based on what we don't do. Do you want to pray on a regular basis? Of course. The word says men should always pray and not faint. Should we fast? Of course. Fasting gives us an opportunity to hear from God. Fasting gives us an opportunity to have confidence to cast out certain demons. Right? It gives. It strengthens our belief. All that stuff is great. Should we go to church? Of course we should go to church. The scripture says to fail not to assemble together with believers. All right. So all of that stuff is fine. It just doesn't make us righteous. And if we don't do those things and we still have faith in Jesus Christ, we're still righteous without doing those things. But doing those things make our lives better, makes our relationship with God better, brings a certain intimacy that we are able to have with God because we study and we pray and we read the word and we fast and we go to church and we hang out with believers and we listen to godly podcasts. All of that stuff is designed to make our lives better and to put us in position to be who God has called us to be. But those things in and of themselves don't make us righteous. Somebody unsaved can read the Bible. Somebody unsaved can pray. Somebody unsaved can fast. Somebody unsaved can go to church. Happens all the time. Does that make them righteous? Does that put them in right standing with God? No, we're not saved by actions. We're not righteous by works. We're righteous by faith in Jesus. I said I was going to teach this later, but I guess I'm teaching part of it now. <laughs> all right. Again, the message translation for 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. That's a foundation. We are in right standing with God no matter what we do because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Can we be corrected by God if we sin? Of course we can. The Bible says he corrects or chastens those whom he loves. But being corrected by God does not mean we're not in, we're not in right standing with God. My parents gave me strong correction when I was growing up from time to time. But that doesn't mean I stopped being their child. Matter of fact, they corrected me because I was their child. Because they were the parent. They were able to they had the authority to bring correction and and gave some other people the authority to bring correction too. Okay? Because I'm corrected doesn't stop me from being God's child. So, so, so away with this whole thing of I'm not righteous because I sinned. That, that, no, that's, that's, a, that's, that's bad foundational thinking. I'm right with God because of what Jesus did and my faith in him. And if I mess up, if I miss the mark, there can be consequences for my actions. Absolutely there can be. I can find myself in a pit because of my actions. Absolutely I can. I can find myself dying before it was really time for me to die. I surely can. But if my faith in what Jesus did on the cross is solid, I, my, my, my right standing with God is solid. That has to be a part of our foundation. And I know it sounds like I'm saying I can just do whatever I want to do and still be righteous. But, but, but Paul asked this rhetorical question when he was talking about this in Romans chapter 6. In Romans 5, he says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And then he goes and asks a rhetorical question. He says, so since grace did much more abound, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, of course not. We've been delivered out of that. Why would we want to go back to it? So nobody's talking about just do whatever you want to do because I'm righteous, because I'm there's grace, and I'm in right standing with God no matter what I do. That's what spoiled children do. Daddy ain't going to, I'm going to just do whatever I want to do. That's what spoiled children do. We're not spoiled children. We're not spoiled sons and daughters of God. We are in right standing with him. So I have the right to have my prayers answered. I have the right to be healed. I have the right to have a successful life. I have a right to hear from God and let him talk to me. I have the right to be to love and to be loved. That's what he's talking about. All right. All right. Last scripture, Ephesians 2 and 13. You know what? I'm just I'm just gonna read this commentary. I think I think that scripture in 2 Corinthians, we kind of covered it. But let me read this commentary about what Jesus did on the cross. He says, A wonderful divine exchange took place at the cross. 
All of our sins were left there. Our guilt was removed and forever gone. And we walked away with all of God's righteousness. What bliss is ours. Every believer today possesses the perfect and complete righteousness of Christ. We are seen by the Father as righteous as His Son. God sees us as righteous as Jesus because of our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. All of our sins were left on the cross. All of our guilt was removed on the cross. All of that stuff is forever gone. It was nailed on the cross. I think Paul talks about this in Colossians, that he nailed the the ordinances on the cross. So now we are in right standing with God. And that has to be a foundational understanding because if I believe that my righteousness can come and go, then I'm not really going to be able to fully take advantage of what it is to be in right standing with God. And I know a lot of people go to that Old Testament scripture where our righteousness is just as filthy rags. Well, we're not talking about our righteousness. We're talking about the righteousness of God through Jesus. Jesus made us righteous because of what he did on the cross. And I think I've hit enough scriptures where we can understand that. that, that yeah, I'm going to get back to that one. Uh, another time but this time <laughs> we're all done I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna call it a day right here uh this is part two of a firm foundation if you're listening to this and haven't listened to part one yet i would say go back and check out part one uh some really really good stuff and this was part two man this has been awesome this has just been awesome 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 and i pray that you guys have received something from this i know i have it's blessed me tremendously um, even when I was studying it, just reminding myself of I stand on these foundations and it allows me to have a life that is full and complete and joyful and peaceful. And even though I have issues and, and struggles and stuff that comes in life because it's just life, the foundations that I stand on allow me to stand and be unshakable when everything else is shaking. And I pray that as you listen to this over and over again and study it for yourself, that you will remind yourself of the foundation that you stand on and be able to walk this life the way God intended for you to walk it and be a blessing to other people uh, and be a light in a time of darkness. That's all I got for you today, fam. Thank you again for listening. And I'll see you next time on the Word Experience Podcast where we experience the Word in a fresh new way. God bless you. Peace. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that what you heard will start you on a journey of change and transformation. If you'd like to communicate with Cliff with a question or a comment, you can do so via email at clifftalk 63 at gmail.com. That's clifftalks, the number 63, at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. God bless, and we'll see you next time on The Word Experience.